read scripture together this morning. Uh, but I want to encourage you to listen to scripture. As uh, for most of uh, uh, the church's history, the people of God were more used to listening rather than reading uh, the printed text. So I want to invite you to, to, uh, to be engaged in the scripture reading in two moments uh, for this first passage that will prepare us to hear the story of uh, the infant Jesus. We're going to read Psalm 86, verses 8 to 13. Uh, for the first uh, three verses, I encourage you to close your eyes and either bow down or, if you prefer, close your eyes and face the sun uh, as, uh, getting, as we get ready to face 2023. Um, this is, of course, an invitation, um, and you can read if you, if you prefer so. Uh, but when I reach verse 11, and I say, teach me your way, O Lord, I encourage you to open your eyes and focus on the cross. So let's read Psalm 86, verses 8 to 13. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. Now Luke chapter 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. And praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared, which you, you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This, is, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her, her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, by, but worshiping night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jer Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything re required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God. And the grace of God was on him. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 15. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. We'll get to hear from Ben, who's done so much this Advent season. And so, uh, Ben, thank you uh, for preparing the word today. And so, uh, let's pray for Ben. God, we thank you for the gift of Ben and for the ways that you have been working in his life. And Lord, we pray um, that you would just bless him, Lord, as he brings your word this morning to us. And Lord, we thank you for the ways you've been preparing his heart, preparing this message. And so, Lord, yeah, we pray for peace and for courage and give him 
give them the words to say. And so we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Danny. Well, Happy New Year. I hope that uh, your year so far is off to a good start. <laughs> it's pretty early days, pretty early hours. Uh, but I'm reminded of um, what Daryl Johnson had said to us last week, which was, today is today. And, you know, we've had many days that are just today. And today is all we have. And so even as we look ahead to the year, we have today. So it's up to us as to how we spend today, and I trust that, uh, well, I know I've been blessed already being here today. Um, I was just reminded when that phone went off that uh, technology does interesting things uh, during church services, and here I am using an iPad for my sermon for the very first time, uh, and I have to unlock it because it's my son's. Uh, so just, just bear with me a little bit here. I'm going to look at the code and unlock it. Great. You're off to a good start. Okay. Well, it's been a wonderful full Christmas season, and here we are standing at, uh, at the threshold of a new year, as has been said already, um, with many, many good things that we've heard already. And so I just encourage you, as, you've, as we've heard the word read to us, we've heard the word sung, uh, we've sung the word, we've prayed through it as well, don't worry too much about remembering everything that has happened, but just think about, I like to think when I read long passages of scripture, you know, God will call to mind the things that he will call to mind and the word will achieve the purposes which he, uh, he purposed for it, he sent for it. So as we go through, uh, of course, we'll talk about specific things, but uh, we've read a lot of scripture today and there are, there's just so much that could be said. Um, but we've come on a pretty long journey, at least it seems like to me, since Christ the King Sunday when I was last up here speaking to you. Of course, we had a uh, this wonderful sermon series, Meeting Jesus, coming through the fall, our very first Sundays here at CPC um, uh, during those early times, and then leading us to, through to Christ the King Sunday, and then transitioning to Advent and the gift of the good news, the good, good gifts that God gives us that point us back to him, that point us to Jesus. And I wonder how many of us could name all of those good gifts that we, we work through. We didn't do it exhaustively. We didn't cover every single gift. That would be impossible. But we did four main ones that, uh, that we went through. I don't know if you can remember them. I don't know if I can remember them in order. Let's see. They were, uh, first one was creation. Second one was? It was a house. What was the house? Inside the house. Uh, by wisdom, the Lord builds a house. The third one was worship. Wonderful embodied worship that we had. Edna Grants led us through that. And the fourth Sunday, Good Gift of Light, Miriam Covalition. And we're going to touch a little bit on that this morning. So what is the good news? What's, what does this all point towards? Well, we've heard about it in Zechariah's song. We sang through that song during our series, Meeting Jesus. And we heard about it uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent when Miriam came to share with us this light of the world uh, through Zechariah's song. We came face to face with it on Christmas Eve. And Christmas morning, and these words to the song, they ring out still, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who's come to his people and set them free. He's raised, them, he's raised up for them a mighty savior born of the house of his servant David. But what does that all mean? We've looked a little bit at that throughout these weeks. Well, the good news is a proclamation. It's a proclamation for all nations that Jesus is king, and it's a promise that he's come to save his people. He's the light of the world who reveals everything 
for what it truly is, who reveals everyone for what, who they truly are. Could be a little bit disconcerting, but there's good news. There's a reason why it's good news. Jesus is the one who Simeon, we just read about Simeon in the temple, the one who Simeon waited so long to see, the one who the prophet Anna proclaimed and gave thanks for in the temple. This Jesus was and is a light to all the nations of the world, as well as the glory of Israel. And over thousands of years, people have flocked to that name, the name of Jesus, and will continue to until he returns. So God's good gift, creation, wisdom, worship, and light, they come through Jesus and they point back to Jesus. So why is he a light? Why is he a king? Why is he a savior? How does that all work? What is he saving us from? Well, at Christmas, we celebrate the wonderful mystery of how God came to earth to be born as a human child into these humble circumstances. And Mary, his mother, wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for their family in the city of Bethlehem where they went uh, to, to give their names, to be counted in the census that was being taken. It doesn't seem like a very promising rescue plan at first, very humble. It doesn't sound like wisdom, but the scriptures tell us that the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of mankind and God will make a way. And so somehow creation and wisdom and worship and light, they all meet in these strange things that are happening around this, um, the birth of this baby boy, Jesus. And last week, Daryl Johnson covered very well. It's a little bit awkward following Daryl. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, <laughs> questions for Justin, but we'll, we'll ask them later, um, our executive minister. But really wonderful to follow up in the sense that um, he brought this message of the first Christmas carol, uh, framing this first Christmas carol that the angels sang. Do you remember what that carol was? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. And he did uh, some actions that I won't make you do, but there was definitely glory to God, peace on earth. So this message of good news through this first Christmas carol, great news, good news of great joy. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And it's a call, to, uh, it's a call with a promise to give glory to God, glory to God, peace on earth, no glory to God, no peace on earth. The nativity story, it, it can sound so familiar. And here we are again, a week after Christmas. Maybe you're not used to uh, celebrating Christmas so long, but this nativity story can seem very familiar if you've heard it many times before. But this sign of a divine savior, this Messiah, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger in these humble circumstances, it can seem unbelievable. But as we've seen in our readings, it gets very real very quickly and very personally for many people involved. And it involves more than just the shepherds, it involves more than Mary and Joseph and the baby. It, in fact, speaks into our world's struggles and our struggles today. So we have the strange occurrence of the angels, the hosts of heaven, proclaiming to the shepherds. We have the account uh, that we read this morning of Jesus' presentation in the temple, as was customary for the Jews. You bring uh, your firstborn to the temple, Jesus' presentation in the temple, and this long-awaited promise, Simeon finally gets to see the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Anna sees him and proclaims him, and people wonder, what is this? Who is this? What is happening here? 
And now finally we have, in our last reading, the occurrence, uh, another strange occurrence, the, the emergence of another unusual sign, a star and wise men from the east. So all these things, proclamation, presentation, foreign envoy, what are they signs of? What do they point towards? They point towards a royal, something royal that is happening, the revealing of a king. They're kingly markers, um, and they are to recognize kingship. And then we, in all of that, we hear uh, the echoes of the reading that David introduced and led us through so well, Psalm 86, to you all nations will come. And so this good news of great joy begins to spill out and over into the rest of the world. And so, as we said a little bit earlier, uh, traditionally now, during this time, we still celebrate Christmas. If you're following the church calendar, uh, in the past it would have been the 12 days of Christmas. You've probably heard that song before. We won't sing it now, um, unless you want to. We can, we can do that. No, we won't do that. But the 12 days of Christmas, December 25th, leading up till January 6th, culminating in 12th night, of course, you may ring a bell from some Shakespeare plays. And then January 6th, Epiphany. Epiphany the revealing of Jesus as Messiah to the nations uh, and, and represented by the wise men coming to Jesus. Now, the wise men don't get a lot of airtime in the Gospels. Only Matthew records uh, their abrupt but important entrance into the story. And contrary to some of the carols that we even sang this morning, we don't know if there are three wise men. Uh, there may have been three. There may have been more. There may have been two. I'm not sure. Um, but it's clear that, that the wise men are associated with this term magi. The word is magi, and it's used other places in scripture. And of course, they weren't there right at the nativity, right at the birth, but they would have come sometime up to probably around Jesus' second birthday or so. Uh, so the family would have been settled in Bethlehem and the wise men from the east coming to look for the king. So we know that magi, the word magi, uh, which we translate as, as wise men in some cases, um, we know that Nebuchadnezzar gathered magi around him to advise and interpret dreams. Um, and when the Jews were taken into captivity to Babylon, Daniel and his friends, if you remember that story in the Old Testament, they were uh, numbered among that cohort. Of course, they stood above them because God had, had blessed them, and they advised uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king as well. And so there is this, this tradition, this, um, this group of, of people who've studied uh, prophecies, we've studied cosmological signs and all of that, and it may be that when the Jews were in Babylon, their scriptures were, were um, circulated and disseminated and studied uh, by the wise men there and, and elsewhere uh, in eastern areas, and then this, so the sense of the wise men coming from the east, the magi coming for a specific reason. And um, if you, just a little note out of the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, there is a prophecy that says, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it could be that um, all of these prophecies were well known. Well, they, they would have been known in some cases among some of these wise men and, and magi, as it were. But whatever the case, however that, that came into the minds as God revealed it to these, uh, these wise men, to these magi, Matthew tells us um, that somehow that they knew a star would rise for the king of the Jews, and they were compelled by God to seek him out. Um, so they took up this journey, probably not three wise men on their own, probably a large group of people together, hired hands, servants, traveling, would have been noticeable, 
probably didn't sneak into Jerusalem and start asking these questions, but would have been a, a, a visible foreign presence coming, looking for the king of the Jews. So we see here uh, the Gentiles coming to pay homage to the one born the king of the Jews. And if you think about that, there's a bit of a slight problem with that. If you go into a nation and you're looking for the king, but there's already a government structure there, there's already a king who's set up, it may not be so great of news, such good news for that king in particular. And so we have Herod uh, in the story as well, Herod the Great, who already claimed that title, King of the Jews. Uh, Herod the Great, appointed by the Romans, he was actually a great king in some sense. He was a builder, he was a, a, an architect, a planner, uh, built many cities, he built palaces, theaters, uh, he even rebuilt this magnific magnificent temple in Jerusalem that Simeon would have been in and would have seen Jesus and Jesus would have been dedicated there, um, this very temple. But Herod was a, a friend to Rome. He was appointed by Rome, sponsored by them. He also sponsored pagan temples, building of pagan temples across the Roman Empire. And he was also a very ruthless king. He was an ambitious man. And if you were as part of his family, you wouldn't sleep easy with Herod around because he was quick to anger and quick to uh, take up any conspiracy theory and to eliminate it, and so much so that he had eliminated several threats seen in his sons and his relatives and so forth, and he was so ruthless, ruthless that Caesar Augustus reportedly had said that it's safer to be Herod's pig than his son. So this was not nice, normal circumstances that the wise men are walking into. But they come in anyways, and they start asking around Jerusalem, where is this king to be born that was king of the Jews? They had part of the picture, but not the whole picture, and they needed to find out exactly where Jesus was being born. So straight to the point, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Well, imagine what Herod would have been thinking in that time. This rumor comes to him, maybe the wise men don't go directly to Herod, but it starts to circulate around the city, and if you're an intelligent ruler, if you're a, a person that keeps their ear out, you would hear these rumors coming up. So Herod hears about this. He doesn't immediately call the wise men, but he calls the religious leaders and the scribes, the teachers of the law around to him, and asks them, where is this king of the Jews to be born? Acknowledging that this is something that's in their history, that's in their, their scriptures. So he calls together his chief priests, his wise men, his, um, sorry, not wise men, his, his um, teachers of the law, and finds out the prophecy. Out of you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem marks him, Bethlehem being a part of Judah, he marks him in the line of David, this line of royal kings. Um, but unlike Herod, he's not a king who will oppress, he's a king who will care for, and he's a king who will rule after God's own heart. So after Herod finds this out, he then calls the wise men, calls the magi secretly to him to find out where the sign or when the sign had appeared, trying to determine Jesus' birth, trying to find out as much as he can about this potential rival. And then he urges the wise men to go to Bethlehem and to find this child and come back and tell him where the, the, he is so he can go and worship him. If you pick that up in the, the reading there, you'll hear alarm bells going off at that point. It's not too difficult to discern. A king 
hearing about a rival, hearing about a long-awaited Messiah who would come, raise up, be raised up and be the savior of his people. Go and see where he is. Come back, tell me, so I can go and worship him. Alarm bells going off, absolutely. But the wise men go, and they're led by the star. They discover the house where Jesus and his mother are. They enter in, and what in what must have been an incredible moment for the wise men, for all of their entourage, for the mother, uh, for Jesus. Uh, doesn't mention Joseph at this point, but Joseph comes in just in, a, in the next verses there as well. Um, what that must have been like for a foreign envoy to come into this humble home, bow down and worship Jesus and giving him gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh, royal gifts. Again, all the nations you have made will come and worship you. They will bring their glory to you. So let's notice the paradox here. Herod, the Roman-appointed king in his magnificent palaces, Jesus the Messiah at his birth laid in a feeding trough, Herod the Great living in wealth and splendor, Jesus, the Savior of the world, living his first years in a humble home in Bethlehem. Herod, seeking to be adored, but a lowly child receiving the worship of a foreign envoy. The promise of a king of the Jews disturbs Herod, and he doesn't want to worship him. He wants to kill him. Jesus, although a threat in that some sense there, he's an even greater threat than Herod can even possibly imagine. And so I want to just take a moment to look at a poem here by Robert Suthel, 16th century poet, who brings to mind uh, this paradox. And if we can show that on the screen now, that would be great. Uh, we'll walk through this here. has some older English terminology, uh, but we'll walk through it here to um, understand it here together. This little babe so few days old, is come to rifle Satan's fold. All hell doth at his presence quake, though he himself for cold do shake. For in this weak, unarmed wise, the gates of hell he will surprise. So this little babe, so few days old, is come to rifle Satan's fold, rifle to steal, to pilfer, to take from the one who is not the good shepherd, to take for the good shepherd. All hell doth at his presence quake, though he himself for cold do shake. This paradox of the coming savior, the coming God in human form, coming to rescue us in the form of a small child, cold and vulnerable, but the gates of hell, hell shaking at his presence. For in this weak, unarmed wise, in this sense of weakness, in this form that's perceived as weakness, the gates of hell, he will surprise. I've always been fascinated by that poem, the way that Robert Suthel um, works that paradox, these things that seem not to be true, but are true. They come together to form a greater picture. And that is one of the wonderful messages about this Sunday, as we look towards Epiphany, as we look towards um, celebrating this proclamation of Christ to the nations, we have these different characters. We have Simeon dedicating Jesus in the temple, waiting for him, um, waiting to see the savior of the world. We have 
Joseph and Mary, still in their humble home, caring for the God incarnate who's come to be a savior to his people. We have Herod, disturbed by the wise men's news, and all of Jerusalem with him. What does this mean? We've come to worship the king of the Jews, this Messiah. What does this mean for us, for our our political system, for our religion? What does this mean for our own lives? And I think that's where I would like to, I think, I know that's where I want to end up this morning, is that Jesus comes to save. But what does he come to save us from? He comes to to rifle Satan's fold. He comes to fight against the gates of hell. Okay. Here we go. Are you still with me? Good. Good. Am I still with myself? I don't know. Let's see. (laughs) But if I can leave you with, with one message this morning, with one image in your mind, is this paradox of the great power of God coming to earth Uh, to be born as a human child, to live among us, to show us the way of the kingdom, to gather around himself a people oriented to himself, to worship him, and then to live his life, to die a sacrificial death on the cross, to save us from, we asked at the beginning, what has God come to save us from? He's come to save us from sin. He's come to save us from that root cause of every evil and oppression, every dark thought in the world that has its root in sin. And he does that by the sacrificial death on the cross. And then he defeats death by his rising again, by the great power of God from the dead. That is what our Savior has come to do. And those things transform everything else around us. And so together we can say glory to God in the highest and peace on earth through the wonderful gift through the wonderful and amazing atoning death of his son and through his rising again in great glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for sending him in this weak, unarmed wise, this this appearance this state of lowliness. And as we stand on the threshold of a new year, we think about what that means. We think about the journey of the wise men, the question that they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And we think about the question that you ask us today. Lord, we know that you stand at the threshold of our hearts. And you say, Come to me, all you who are weary and all you who labor, and I will rest. I will give you rest. You tell us that you stand at the door of our lives and you knock. And that if anyone opens that door, you will come in and you will make your home with them. And so as we stand here at the beginning of a new year, we praise you, we bless you, we give you thanks for the wonders that you have shown us. And no matter where we are, if we are full of lists of resolutions or whether we've just barely made it here this morning, We pray that you would guide us through this year, Lord.
that you would guide this church and you would guide everyone here present this morning. And we say to you, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who's come to his people and set us free. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.